God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This list of uh, blessings that Bonnie just read for us appears at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And these verses are uh, frequently referred to in English as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are really some of the most well-known verses in the whole Bible. If, uh, if you go on Amazon.com and you enter the word Beatitudes into the search bar, in addition to finding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that address the subject, you will also find that you can purchase lots of very nice Beatitudes merchandise there. There are Beatitudes t-shirts and hoodies, Beatitudes ski caps and jackets, Beatitudes jewelry, Beatitudes wall hangings, Beatitudes pillows and coffee mugs and coloring books and throw rugs and you name it. So these, these verses are very, very well known. And the problem, of course, with any well-known passage of Scripture is that sometimes you can be so familiar with the verses that you don't realize how amazing they are, how just surprising they are. And this, this really is a very shocking, surprising passage. So what I'd like to try to do today is just point out two aspects of these verses that ought to surprise us, all right? And, and the first is this. In the Beatitudes, we see a surprising display of love. Surprising display of love. The love of Christ that's d displayed in these verses, it just, it's, it's mind-blowing. So let, let me explain. Sometimes, and we all know this, sometimes when you, maybe you read a novel or you're watching a movie, sometimes you're watching a movie and you just get this, this feeling that uh, you've, you've heard the story before. Like it, the, the movie reminds you of an older story. The, uh, the screenwriter has designed the plot of the script in such a way that it brings to mind a story you've all, you already know. So um, West Side Story reminds us of Romeo and Juliet, right? Apocalypse Now reminds us of the heart of darkness. The Lion King is based on Hamlet, right? Just brings to mind an, an older story. And so um, we're all familiar with that. Well, Bible scholars, many Bible scholars believe that when the author of the Gospel of Matthew, when he wrote his biography of Jesus, his gospel, they believe that he, he deliberately structured his plot to bring to mind an older story, to bring to mind the story of Moses. So you could say that Matthew's gospel presents Jesus as the new Moses, the new and better Moses. And, and here's why they say that. So Matthew, of, of all the Gospels, he's the one who tells us that when Christ was a small child, he and his family went to live in Egypt for a while, and then they returned to their homeland. So just as Moses came out of Egypt, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus comes out of Egypt. 
And then, and then just as Moses went through the waters of the Red Sea, remember, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus goes through the waters of baptism. And then just as Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being tested. And then just as Moses went up Mount Sinai, we see in this passage, Jesus also goes up a mountain, the side of a mountain. And then just as the people of Israel gathered around Moses at Sinai to hear the words of the covenant, in this passage, Jesus, the followers of Christ, gather around him to, to hear the words of the new covenant. So you see, it's, it's like you get the impression Matthew has structured his plot to just kind of present Jesus as the new Moses, it, it, the, it, the, the new and better one. And then we are surprised. Something surprising happens. So you, you may remember that when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he delivered the words of the covenant to God's people. How did he begin? He started with a list of rules, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, right? He started with a list of rules. But when Jesus, the new Moses, when he delivered the words of the new covenant to his people, he didn't start with a list of rules. He began with a list of blessings. It's a surprise. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. So uh, you, you could put it this way. The old, in the old covenant, the old covenant starts with the rules. Exodus chapter 20, the very beginning of the old covenant. The old covenant starts with the rules, and then it, then it ends with the blessings. Deuteronomy 28. So you, you could say that in the, in the old covenant, here's how it works. If you keep the rules, you get the blessings. But in the new covenant, Jesus just starts with blessings. Right from the beginning, he just starts handing out blessings before he gives us a single rule. And he will give us rules, all right? But before he gives a single rule, he just starts with blessings. So this, this is surprising, this, the, 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 the surprise of the new Moses. Now, the word here, blessed, it sounds a little bit stuffy, right? Spiritual, very churchy. I doubt that many people this week will come up to you and say, blessed art thou. Right? We, just don't, we don't talk that way. But you may have heard before, and, and scholars will tell us, that the word translated blessed, it really just means happy. Happy. It means fortunate. Not, listen, not a kind of subjective, superficial happiness. It's talking about this deep sense of contentedness that a person feels when they realize that their life is good. It just means that they're fortunate, they're happy. And so Jesus, he starts out talking about our happiness. And I find that remarkable. So Jesus came in his ministry. He came proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom, right? And some have said that the Sermon on the Mount, it's sort of the inaugural speech of God's kingdom. So think about this. How did Jesus begin the inaugural speech of God's kingdom? Did he say, the first thing I want to talk about is how you need to be good people, morality, because in God's kingdom we need good people. Did he start that way? No. Did, did, he, did he start by saying, the first thing I want to talk about is how you can be effective because in God's kingdom we need people who change the world. You need to be effective. No, he didn't start that way. Did he start by saying the first thing I want to talk about is wisdom? Because in God's kingdom we need people who think, people who are smart. He did not start that way. This, this is something. Jesus began 
the inaugural speech of God's kingdom basically by saying, hey, first thing, can I just talk about your happiness? Can, can we just talk about your happiness? I want, he's like, I want my people to be blessed. I want them to be content. I want them to be happy. I mean, you could almost get the impression from this that Christ's primary concern is our well-being. Now, does that sound kind of squishy to you? I mean, it's getting nervous. It's kind of soft. Listen, did you hear the words we said in the, in the Nicene Creed? My favorite line in the Nicene Creed is this. It says, the Son of God, it says, who for us and our salvation came down from heaven and was made flesh. So why did the Son of God come down from heaven? The old creed says, he did it for us. He did it for us. And then it goes on to say he was crucified for us. You almost get the impression, both from the creed and from the Beatitudes, that Christ's primary concern is your well-being, your happiness. Listen, let that sink in. His primary concern is not what you can do for him. His primary concern is not what he can get from you. His number one worry is not the ways you need to change. The first thing he talks about, listen, your happiness. Let me ask you a question. What would you, what would you say about someone whose primary concern with regard to you is just your happiness? That's, what, that's the number one thing they're concerned about with you. What would you say about someone? i tell you what you'd say. You say that? That person really loves me. They're not, they're not concerned about what I do for them or what I can give to them. They just, they love me. And, and the surprise of this Beatitudes is that's what this is driving home. He really, do you hear me? He really loves you. Now, the reason this is so important for you to grasp is because I want to be straight with you. If you follow Jesus, all right, you follow Jesus, he will ask you to do some things that are very, very hard. He, he will ask you to love your, your neighbor sacrificially. He will ask you to obey his word unreservedly. He, he will ask you to take up your cross and lay down your life. He'll ask you to follow him. And listen, in order for you to do that, you, you need to know that you can trust Jesus. And in order for you to trust Jesus, it's got to sink in that he really loves you. Like in order, in order to, to obey God, you have to trust God. And as Brennan Manning once said, he said, you will trust God to the extent that you know that you are loved by him. And the way Christ begins this Sermon on the Mount, just saying, just talking about our happiness, just handing out blessings before we've even heard any rules, just surprises us. So, there's this surprising, what are the surprises? First, there's a surprising display of love. And then secondly, in the Beatitudes, there's, there's, there's a surprising description of life. And by life, I mean real life, the, the true life. It, it, in these verses, Christ Christ is basically in the Beatitudes. He's describing what human flourishing looks like. He's, de he's, de he's describing the good life, the life that's blessed, 
Um, Dallas Willard was a philosopher at UCLA, and he, he said that in, in the Beatitudes, Christ is telling us who the people are who are truly well off. So who are the people who are truly well off, right? How, how, let, me, let me ask this. How would our society answer that question? How, how would our culture define what the good life looks like? Well, you know the answer to that. Our, our, our society would say that the blessed are the popular. And Jesus says in the kingdom, the blessed are the persecuted. In our society, our society say well, the, the blessed are those who have a strong sense of self. They know who they are. They know where they're going. They know what they want out of life. Jesus said in the kingdom, the blessed are the poor in spirit. They, they, they're at their end of their rope. They don't, they, don't, they don't know what to do. They don't feel like they have anything to offer God. In, in, in our society, the blessed are those who celebrate. They are the winners. They have won, so they celebrate. Jesus said, wow, in the kingdom, the blessed are those who mourn. They know how to lament. They know how to lament the, the losses and the disappointments in their life and the tragedies in this world. It, it, it's, our society would say the blessed are the bold, the confident. Jesus said the blessed are the meek, the, uh, the unpretentious, the humble. Our society would say, you see this on every advertisement. The people that are, you know, shooting down the water slide on the cruise ship. The people who walk out the front door of their nice home and, my goodness, what a gift for Christmas. There's a huge bow on top of a SUV. I never got a gift like that. In, in, in the commercial, they're barbecuing in the backyard, and there's all kinds of friends and families. They're never alone. They're never alone. You see, in our society tells us this is the good life. The blessed are the satisfied. Their lives are filled, filled with good things. They, they have the perfect family, the perfect job. They, have, they go on great vacations. They drive a nice car. And Jesus said in the kingdom, the blessed are those who sometimes feel that their life is so empty that they begin to hunger. They begin to thirst for something better than the world can ever give them. He said they hunger and they thirst for the righteousness of God. So you see, Christ's description of life is surprising. His, his description of the good life, it's surprisingly different than the way the world, the good life is defined by the world. Um, one, uh, an Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle back in the 1800s. Here's what he said about what we should learn from the Beatitudes. He says, let us, let us learn how entirely contrary the principles of Christ are to the principles of the world. They are almost diametrically opposed. He, he wrote, the very things the Lord Jesus praises, the world despises. And the very pride and thoughtlessness and selfishness and formality which abound in the world the Lord Jesus condemned. So Christ's, Christ's description of, the, of life, real life, surprises us. Now I wonder if it, anybody who heard Jesus that first day, they, they weren't used to the Beatitudes yet. They didn't have the Beatitudes hoodies out back then. They, this, this was all new for them. I wonder if any of them said, why in the world is this guy talking this way? Why would he say that? I mean, does Jesus, does he, Jesus actually think it's good to be persecuted? There, there, are, there are preachers of the gospel in prison in, in China and other places who haven't seen their family in months, and they don't know if they ever will. 
There, there are Christians in places like Iran who fear a knock on the door late at night. Is Jesus really saying, that's good? Oh, that's so good. We're happy for you. Is that really? Is, is Jesus really saying that it's good to mourn and weep? People who are depressed, oh, I really envy you. Is that what he's saying? Listen, look at this closely. He's not say, Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who mourn because sorrow is fun. No, he said, blessed are those who mourn because what? They will be comforted. He's not saying, blessed are the persecuted because it's good to be persecuted. He said, blessed are the persecuted because they, what? Will receive a reward. So I don't know if you noticed when, when uh, Bonnie was reading this for us, if you would just go through, you could do this if you wanted to circle. Every time you see the word will, the word will just keeps appearing in, in the Beatitudes. In other words, it's the future tense Christ keeps talking about. So the state of blessedness that he's describing, it's not rooted in our present condition. Right? No, it's rooted in a future outcome. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the, are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. The mournful will be comforted. The peacemakers will be known as God's own children. The persecuted will be rewarded. So, see, the, the whole foundation of Christ's description of human flourishing is based on a certain premise. And the premise upon which his description of her human flourishing is based is something he said, we saw it last week, he said it in Matthew chapter 4. You know what he said? He said the kingdom of heaven is near. It's right around the corner. It's drawing nigh. You can, almost, you can almost hear it. You can almost see it. It's right around the corner. The kingdom of heaven, he said, it's on its way. It's near. Right? So, so Jesus is saying here, those who are in the kingdom, those who've come to know the king, they've come to know God through faith in his Messiah, through faith in Christ, he said, those people are blessed even if right now they're sad. Even if right now they are disappointed and they have all kinds of unanswered prayer requests. He said, even if they are rejected by the world, misunderstood by their family, he said, you know what? They are the blessed ones. Why? Because they're in the kingdom. They're in the kingdom. And if you are in the kingdom, you may not get the Caribbean cruise, you may not get the promotion at work, you may not get answers to all your prayers, but you know what? If you're in the kingdom, you know what you get? You get the king. You get God in all his glory. You get Jesus in the fullness of his grace. You get every blessing the Father's heart can ever imagine for you. You get all of his love. You're in the kingdom. Even if right now you're weeping, you're in the kingdom, and so you're blessed. Even if right now you feel lonely, you're in the kingdom, and so you're blessed. Even if right now you just feel empty inside, you're in the kingdom, and so you're blessed. So the question I think that the Beatitudes invites every one of us to ask is, am I, am I a citizen of the kingdom? It's really hard to get citizenship in some countries, isn't it? 
You could come here and do all the right things and fill out all the right papers and do everything right never, and just wait years and years and years and go back to the beginning of the line. It's not hard to become part of a citizen of the kingdom of God. You just come to King Jesus and say, I want in. I, I want you to be my king. Or as he said in, in, in Matthew 4, you just repent and believe what? The gospel. You, uh, you kind of receive this surprising love that he offers you. You embrace this in, in surprising life that he invites you to. You say to the king, I want in. And he opens the door. So I, I wonder if you've ever, if you've ever come to the kingdom yet. Have you? Have you come to Christ and just said, listen, I have nothing to offer you. I have, I've broken every rule in the book. But if you're offering blessings to someone like me, I want some. If you're, if you're opening the door to someone like me, let me in. I want in. If you've, if you've never done that, you know what? Today, today, through me, through the Spirit, Jesus is at, he's just inviting you to come in. I hope you will. And if you've done that already, you know, if you're, if you're in the kingdom, it might be that your life isn't really turning out the way you planned. There's a lot of things that you look at and you just feel like, man, I feel empty. I feel, I feel discouraged. I, sometimes I just weep and nobody knows about it. I, I just, you know what, if that's the way you are, our heart breaks for you. But I want you to know, sister, I want you to know, brother, among all the people on this planet, you are numbered among the blessed ones. You know why? Because your king loves you. He's with you. You're in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be surprised again by your love. We want, it, we want to see how amazing it is. So we pray that you do that for us today through the Spirit and, and do that for us today at the table. That when we come to your table, just remind us as we, as we taste the, the bread and we drink from the cup, just remind us you gave yourself for us out of love. Do that for us, we pray in your name. Amen.